Welcome to the Happy Mindset, episode 147. Today's episode is called The Creative Philosopher. Today I'm joined by Dr. Rusia Connor. Dr. Rusia is a speaker, trainer, lecturer, and therapist. She recently gave a TEDx talk called How to Live a Creative Life Every Day. So on today's episode, Dr. Rusia talks about creativity, how she learned to follow her path as a creative person. She was an actor at one stage. Uh, she She's a drama therapist. Her doctorate is in exploring how emotions and perceptions affect our physical and cognitive abilities. I get that from her work, for even from her TEDx talk. She talked about the mind-body connection, how different, even weird movements can allow you to think more creatively. Dr. Rusi also works with organizations, different forms of organizations in business. She's, she's also working in prisons. She's got a lot of experience in this area. So I enjoy talking to her. We talk a little bit around philosophy towards the end. And one thing that kind of stood out for me was she said she enjoys the act of thinking. And it wasn't something I'd really thought of before. And yet that's something that I also enjoy doing. I enjoy consciously thinking about things, letting my mind wander and explore. It wasn't something I really thought of before. So I got that from talking to Dr. Rusia. But I know you'll enjoy today's episode. So thanks again for listening. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, uh, Dr. Rusia. Good morning, Dennis. Um, so my first question for you is, who are you and what are you doing in the world today? Well, I'm a human doing, not a being, not just a human doing. So I, I'm firstly a, a person. And I guess, um, well, we always ask, what do we do? Is I, I try to spend my time with bringing a little bit of magic and joy to the world. And as a day job or an income job, I work as a therapist and a trainer and facilitator. And I mainly deal with playfulness and creativity. I guess that's my, my baby. That's good. How, how did you get into, how did you end up here with playfulness and creativity? Uh, you know, it's, it, life, life has its own little quirks. And I, I never thought, I always say, I never thought I would end up, for example, in the prison. So I've been working in a prison for the last several years. Um, I started as um, as an actress, so a dancer and an actress. So that's what I wanted to be. And so I studied dance and then had an injury, broke my leg. I thought, oh, I can become an actress. And so I did that. I worked as a performer for 10 years. So I guess playfulness in, in being different or moving the body or challenging the body in, in, in several ways was always part of my life. And then um, as life goes on you know, fell in love with Australia, moved to Australia. But I also hit the point where as a performer, if you're not on the, you know, the top 10%, life gets really tricky and difficult and hard to create an, a, a living out of your art. And so there was this point where in my life, where well, what can I do with the skills I have, with what I like to do? And so I was looking around for opportunities or, or ways how I can utilize those skills. And uh, then I, I found um, drama therapy. So I studied drama therapy. I did my master's in that. And yeah, from there, I started working with different organizations and groups. And I've always kept both like my, my personal creativity and, and bringing it into the workplace aligned in, in a way or tried to as much as possible. Did you, did you grow up in like an artistic background? 
It was your family. No, I'm artistic, a black sheep in my family in that sense. Uh, they were not. No, they were not artistic. I just, I think I was born with a very strong um, stubbornness, as my parents would call it. And I kind of, when I was eight years old, I decided I wanted to be an actor and being on stage and dancing. So, and I guess in that sense, they were supportive and, and caring enough that they said, "All right, if that's really what you want to do, we don't stop you from doing that." Um, but no, it, it wasn't that it was encouraged, but it wasn't discouraged either. It was just like, okay, if that's what you want to do, then see if you can make it work. Were you quite confident in yourself then back then? Or how did you have that kind of willpower and desire to go against, I guess, the norm? Yeah, I have asked myself that sometimes. And um, I, I think on the one hand, it's a drive. I think I've had a very high drive to try and explore things but also growing up having a lot of space so you know my parents in a way gave me a lot of space uh it was like well if I don't do it um who's gonna do it and it was more like if it feels good if I enjoy myself so I was always also a very outdoorsy person then that's right and I think that encouraged me against all odds to say, but it makes me feel good. It, I feel alive. I can feel my body. I, I feel I have a connection. And then besides all the difficulties that come with that job, it always kept me motivated. But yeah, there were definitely points where I thought, well, how am I doing this? And do I have the mm. talent for that? And you know, the usual, the, the, the nagging voice we have in our brains that tells us you can't do this. But do you remember when you became- advice with that <laughs> or do you remember when you became aware of the the self-doubts and, and the, the voice in your head telling you can't do it well a lot of people tell you can't do it and you're always going to be poor uh, becoming mm. a, uh, an actor and I think that I accepted but then you know when you start auditioning or when you start applying for things and I remember I think one of my first um kind of there's a system in Germany where you have, you know, have to sit an exam and, and there was like before, I kind of, there was a big part in me which was, you're never going to pass it. It's going to be all terrible. And then there was this other part to say, well, oh, but you need at least to try it. Otherwise, you never know. Mm. So those two parts. But yeah, the, the doubt, even before the, the TED Talk, the doubt is always part of it, the fear. I guess maybe in my understanding from an artistic point of view, I've learned that fear or that doubt is always also a sign of that there is something worthwhile grabbing. So yeah, it kind of changed the fear around to becoming like, well, if I'm a bit fearful or anxious, that's definitely what I should try out. Yeah, because I was just going to ask you, how did you manage to channel that fear? So you see it as like a, an opportunity, I guess, a challenging opportunity. What's that reframing your mind around the fear and the doubt of it going wrong? It is, in a way, a reframing. It's also a biological understanding that, that, you know, fear and excitement, they have quite similar physiological responses. You know, you get the shaky mm. knees, the sweaty armpits, sweaty hands, the heat, you know, the voice does a little bit of dry mouth. But you also have that when you're really excited. So um, it didn't come overnight. Like mm. my first performances, I always kind of, you know, thought I'm going to throw up and it was shaking. And every time I said to myself, why am I doing this? I should not be doing this. This is terrible. What am I doing to myself? You know, and that was very strong and I had terrible stage fright. But then 
the moments on stage were always so beautiful and so rich and the whole work around it that I kind of accepted that that fear is the price I have to pay. Mm. And then with the years and the doing it, it became a literal reframing that I said, all right, I'm feeling this, but but it's also like kind of I'm excited. So I kind of thought I'm more like a race was now excited to go and run out and, and do it. And that helped. But yeah, if I try something new, I do have the voice that talks. No, yeah. you can't do that. No one will be interested. No one's going to listen. And I have to say very kindly to you need to shut up now. I have no time. I will take care of you. But right now you need to be please quiet. I need to focus. Hmm. So I, I talk to my parrot. Yeah, yeah, Biv. That makes sense. Otherwise, it'll just control you if you aren't acknowledging it and, and working with it. When did you start learning about the mind-body connection then? I start, I think, you know, after after I worked as a, as a therapist for a couple of years, I got a bit tired of it or a little bit, oh, it's like I went back and wanted to do a PhD. And that's where I really went into exploring those connections and researching that deeper and at a broader scale. And, you know, before I think it was more unconsciously, I was just doing it and it worked for me. Mm. And that was like the, the thinking about it and getting a sense of, oh, how does this really work? And how can we maybe make it more conscious that we can utilize this more um, when we want to use it? And that's how I got into all those areas. And But they all felt like they were reinforcing things I had felt or just instinctively done. And so that's a, a nice connection when you read the research and go like, oh my God, yes, that makes so much sense. Okay, so did it, did it make, or did it explain your experiences, I guess, as, a, as an actor and a dancer, why that was working yes. and so on? Yes. So what do you feel and was missing from just a therapy element when it was just, the, I guess you were just focused on the mind with the therapy, were you? Well, drama therapy sits in between, doesn't it? It, it has, mm. it works through, through the body. Uh, yes, and some other therapies like CBT or, or stuff, it only goes through the mind. And and we know now, even in classical therapy, that it only can go that far. Now, if you look at um, at uh, trauma work by you know the, the the leading people like Dan Siegel, Peter Levine, or whatever, they always say like, if we're not addressing what's actually happening in the body, mm. we can't really shift. Yeah, the mind can only go that far, but but it's ingrained on a really instinctual level. And so we need to address that, that part of it to, to really create a change. Yeah, it's on a cellular, cellular level, I think, that the trauma can yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah, it gets, you know, the body, as this famous book says, the body keeps the score. So every, every yeah. experience we make or it gets stored somehow, somewhere, and if we don't release or work with those memories or body patterns, then... Um, yeah, they never really go away. We can only go that far with our mind, with our thinking only. You know, mm. we can think, oh, I'm not afraid of it anymore and it's all cool and spiders are little and they're not poisonous or whatever. But if we don't confront it, the next time we see a spider, we will still scream. Yeah. You even mentioned your TED Talk uh, about moving the body slightly differently can help you to think slightly differently. Yeah, you know, when, when I get, when I have a, a thought and I feel I'm stuck, you know, yeah. usually what happens in your body, you get stuck too. You know, you, 
you sit there, you stare at a thing, you breathe shallow. Um, and it's almost like your experience of feeling that stuckness mirrors what goes on in your body. And so by, by getting up, moving around, just sometimes I just crank up the music, dance in my living room, or I work in the garden, you know, focusing, planting something, really getting grounded or moving through it. It's almost like the mind does its thing. And I, 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 I consciously not focus on anything. I just let the thoughts or whatever, they do what they want. But then when I come back to a task, it's because I have had a physically different experience. My mind has shifted a little bit and suddenly I don't feel stuck anymore. I feel like, oh, I overlooked this over there. Or, well, if I look at it from a more relaxed point of view, then I'd actually, uh, I can do the next step. So, um, yeah, that makes so that's, sense. that's how it works. How did you end up working in prisons then? You said that's recently you started working in prisons. Yeah, it's because I worked as a, as a creative arts therapist and, and normal counselor. And then, um, well, there came a job up and I thought, oh, like I'm a curious person. I thought, oh, I've never been really in a prison. <laughs> what a great opportunity to see a very different world. And so I applied and got the job and we built a um, rehabilitation prison, the first one in Western Australia. And, and yeah, it's, it was a challenging experience, of course, um, but also very rewarding to, you know, to see, to see a very different aspect of life of people who are quite often disadvantaged from an early stage on, because if I look at most of my clients, they didn't have to play for a childhood. So they are lacking certain skills or, or possibilities. What's the biggest thing you've learned from that experience so far about how creativity can help in somebody's life? Well, sometimes, you know, you, you might, or I ask myself, what makes me resilient to things that, that other people collapse or can't cope with or need to numb, you know, need to numb their feelings? So a lot of the women I work with, I used to work with men too, but now working with women. So there's a big thing in, in numbing feelings. Um, that's why they tend to use drugs. Um, and it, it's almost an ingrained fear of feelings. And uh, I guess being a performer, an actor, where you're encouraged to feel, you know, where when you, when you play a, a character like Lady, Lady Macbeth, you need to feel the rage and the hatred and the destruction. So you, you allow or you, you train to allow yourself to have those big emotions and fully express them, and, you know, being on stage, you get rewarded for having those feelings, which in normal life, you luckily don't. Mm -hmm. But um, I think having that ease in, in going to the extremes makes it really easy for me to really feel when something upsets me. And it might be just a little thing, but oh, I can allow myself to feel the ping, you know, the, the ping of rejection or, you know, someone doesn't call you back and your body goes like, ooh, yeah? And I'm not... I'm not frightened or overwhelmed or I don't think I'm going nuts when I when I go, like, oh, no, I'm really sad about it. And for other people, this is already too much because they're not used to feel that much. And so it creates an overwhelm for them where for me it is a momentary feeling. It floats through me and it passes. Like with little children, they, they have something, they go like, yeah, 
they're upset for two minutes, but because they fully expresses, they fully embody whatever comes up, the emotion just passes through them and they move on from that. And I yeah. guess that's that's a little bit what I what I could really see that. Um, the allowing the feelings to be there, to be fully expressed, but to also allow them to pass through you. And for those people that don't want to feel them, have to hold them back, but they never really fully work through them. What, what, when you get like a, an overwhelming sensation, what does it look like for you working through it? Do you give it the space, just feel it? Do you act immediately? What does that look like for you when you've got an overwhelming sensation in your body? Yeah, it depends when and where, you know. Of course, in context, <laughs> honestly, okay. or the context, or yeah. in a work environment, or whatever, um, we, be we behave differently. Yeah, so I might have a sensation or a feeling, and in a work environment, I would just register. Oh, that got me somewhere, but I wouldn't respond. You mm. know, um, I might go home, sit in my garden, and then tap back into that feeling late at night and go like, "What was that?" And if I then allow that to coming up, I might travel back to. Uh, similar memory in my childhood where then I can go, ah, that's why it was such a sting or whatever. Um, but at home or with friends who really know me well, when I say something, I go, don't say that to me, you know, like this. But because they're familiar with me, that they, they know it's not, I'm not having a meltdown. I'm just, you know, and I'm always like, I'm just expressive, you know. Mm. But it really depends on the context or, uh, you know, I do funny voices or, or mimic people and and I guess with people who are familiar with you, it's part of who you are and they enjoy it and like it and they jump in or play along with it. But yes, in a, in a professional environment, I can keep those to myself most of the time. Yeah. When did you understand the, the importance of context there that you, that you express things in different ways according to the setting that you're in? Um. What, what, what do you expect? So did, you, you did, you, did you get that from acting? Did like For me, that wasn't something that was intuitive. I, I suppose maybe it was intuitive, but maybe I had a lot of thinking around. I think I had a lot of judgment around expression in general. So even when I was alone, I wouldn't be able to release these emotions because I was just blocked by them. Whereas today, yeah. I'm allowing myself, like, depending on the context, I'll express that emotion in different ways. In work, I might just register, like you're saying there, I might explore it later on in the day. Like, when did that, were you always like that, or was it something you learned over time? I, I think, no, I, I definitely wasn't always like that. I think um, anger was something that, especially as a female, you kind of learn from your surrounding not to express or to hold down. It was literally having the luxury of being trained as a performer and an, an actor where you kind of tap into those feelings, you know, and when you... I remember the first time I was supposed to play a really angry character. I, I couldn't. I just smiled the whole time. Mm. I, I literally, and I thought, how odd is this? That all my body can do is just smile and be nice and not be able to show it. And I had this wonderful teacher who said, that's fine. That's where you, well, that's right now your pattern. Just play with it and see if you accept that right now you can only smile. Can you smile evenly? and see if you can find it underneath and and having you know having that encouragement in this playful safe atmosphere gave me the, the space to go like oh so what's underneath and to slowly kind of yeah get rid of those conditioning and expectations you know how how do you have to look like or what's acceptable or not acceptable 
And then I think there's a point where you go, oh, that, that feels right for me. So I'm actually not so concerned what society says or the world says if I know it works for me and is right and feels I'm not hurting anyone. I'm I'm still kind. I'm still taking care of myself. Um, and I guess that feeds that becomes then a feedback loop where you become more independent in your opinion from yeah. others. More integrated. Uh, no, I can resonate there with when you're talking there about you needing to feel anger, but you could only smile because you're so conditioned not to feel any anger. Because uh, I suppose when I was growing up, I kind of associated anger with lashing out. I didn't really see anger as something you could feel and express in your own way over time that you can channel into art and other stuff. If you, yeah. like, That gives me a reason. I think that's why, that's why I like creativity and art because it gives me a reason to process these feelings that otherwise I would remain unconscious to and falling into these patterns where I'm just stifling myself the whole time. I don't feel alive. Yeah. Uh, I would. So. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing. It becomes stifling and, and, and it cuts life, the, 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 the sense of being alive and present. The more we have to suppress stuff, that, mm. the more we collapse. But it, yeah, it's finding ways, as you said, through creativity, we can find positive and encouraging ways to work with the, with those emotions because they're just emotions so another thing i'm curious about is uh what some general things general misunderstandings around creativity you see in in business when people think of creativity what sort of misunderstandings do they have around what it is they think they can force it you know that i i think that's the biggest thing that someone that can just sit someone down and on front of a computer and say and now now come up with a great idea yeah or um they're shutting ideas down very early. As soon as it doesn't fit in a box, it gets brushed to the side. Um, that, that I think that are common misconceptions that, that A, it takes a little bit of time it, uh, and it needs a safe environment and an, an environment where you get encouraged to even think a little bit, yeah, outside of the box or a bit crazily about things. That, that 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 are big things and overall like uh the biggest challenge is often that people think like as soon as something joyful playful has a lot of laughter it's not serious mm-hmm. so that that's the biggest like i very often got oh you just bring the glitter around but you don't do any anything real <laughs> yeah i i what i like exploring is that balance between logic and creativity because I think without the creativity and the playfulness you're not going to get anything new it'll be the same as types of thoughts but then without the logic you're not going to have anything a strategy or a system so I think it's like a balancing I think like you're saying there sometimes I often see that creativity is seen as something like you just come up with these genius ideas and even thinking outside the box is seen as a genius idea rather than a weird idea something that you've disowned in yourself so I've actually found my own life the more I'm able to accept aspects of myself that I was judging the more it gives mm. me more flexibility psychologically and the more I can connect new ideas and thoughts together because I've access to them now because I'm not blocked off from those parts that I judgment around and I get that from a safe place where you're encouraged to play explore even look at the dark side because I find when you've got a lightness you can look at the dark easier yes and and I think that that's the beauty in in, in those things that Yes, we all have a dark part or we all have had terrible experiences. Um, 
but what we can hold them in a in a more gentle way and then they become bearable mm. and sometimes by retelling the story in a different way or, or creating something around it it actually can also hold a beauty in it and yeah that that can shift shift things that might be otherwise overwhelming and destructive into something that yes it is terrible and ugly or whatever but there's still something in it yeah the purpose in it the yeah. leaders so you do leadership like you talk about leadership as well another thing that i uh, that I kind of see is that I, like when it comes to creativity and, and people who are artistic, I, I generally don't see them in the business field as, as leaders as, in managerial roles. I suppose first even seeing what you see a distinction between a leader and a manager, and also how does somebody who's artistic and creative, how did they become a leader in the workplace? There is a bit of a, the concept that, that we think only serious people can, you know, have success, Lead. isn't it? Yeah, yeah? I don't have to be strict and hard. But then, then look at, um, I mean, if you look at, at at people like, for example, Steve Jobs, I would definitely would say that was a very creative, artistic person. Or um, Elon Musk. Or there, there are people who kind of, or Richard Branson, you know, who have crazy, wild ideas. But they also have the, the the skill to transfer them in something that works. Mm. Uh, I don't. I, I yeah. I, I think I totally agree with you. It's not. Uh, it's not the majority. And if we look at our world, it is. It is based on control, dominance, and fear, and a lot of aspects. As we when we look at the state of the world or or political um, systems. Um, but there also are different examples of how there are different leaders. So if you look at, for example, the um, Prime Minister of New Zealand, um, she's a female and she's a very creative, very warm uh, leader. And and I think, you know, um, it is possible, but you're right, it's definitely not the majority in the world. Yeah, because I often kind of think about it because it's a... Uh... you're not going to get it feels like sometimes it feels like it's a different experience rather than it's kind of that Buckminster Fuller quote that you can't change your existing reality by fighting against it you have to create a new reality and I find that with I would like to be in a place where leadership is seen as somebody who's being authentic and they've got skills and they're developing themselves and they're helping they're helping to create a safe space for other people to feel okay to be themselves as well so they can develop their own skills, develop the stuff they're drawn to. And uh, I feel in the current paradigm, managers and leaders are seen as these people that are, in general, they're seen as these people who more so kind of tell you what to do and how you should develop. I think it even ties back to even childhood. I feel that as children, we've, we know what we want from life. It's just we need to have guidance. We don't need dictator teachers. We need people who are guides in our life to help us reach our potential. I think that's the fundamental mm-hmm. flaw I've seen in my life. It's been putting ideas and stuff on you so that you're restricted yeah. in how you're feeling and stuff like that. But I, I, I do believe that, that there is a, definitely a shift if, if, if we look at even the writings or some ideas around that there is more more of an understanding now that 
um, to have happy employees, you actually have to encourage them to develop themselves, to tap into their own. Um, even now with the, the working from home, it becomes more acceptable to have a more flexible um, structure of the day. Yeah, so there, there are shifts, but I guess with everything that's a bit more gentle mm. um, or embracing or, you know, open-minded, it easily gets swallowed by by the, the sharks or however you want to call it. But I think if it's a critical mess of, of people believing, well, this is the way how we want to travel, it's how people are raising their children more like this, it, one can only hope it will lead to a paradigm shift. Yeah, I guess it's still pretty predominant. Um, yeah, no, like you said, I, I feel that there is slowly movement in a different direction. It's just evolution takes time. How like how do you deal with the unknown? I think it requires patience, a lot of patience. I'm always, I'm always, I'm curious, you know. So I, I believe that there might be something exciting around the corner, but I also have days where I go, oh God, it's also bad that it can, you know. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not always optimistic. There are days when I just shake my head and, and, and sometimes I do. I just go like, today is not my day. I'm just snuggling up and under my blanket and have a hot chocolate and pretend the world's not existing. But giving, giving myself that space where I can just go, it's all too much. You know, I, I come out of it the next day and go like, okay, but there must be something. And yeah. Uh, then I try to do my little my little part because you know I think we only have control o- over what we do. Yeah, so I'm I'm a big believer that this is what we are is what we have, and I can only take care of of my part of the world. So for me, it's really important that 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 I can do that. I can give that space, or I can give that kindness, or I can give that playfulness in everyone who comes into into my world and and i think that's what helps me deal with those things that i say well even if things around me break apart or it's unpleasant but but i'm 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 not part of that so and and i hope that it's like a you know hopefully one never knows it's like a little drop in a in a pond and the ripples go outwards yeah so that's kind of what keeps, keeps me going that makes sense. And, and, and allowing yourself in those days to go, the world's gone to shit. And I do find, yeah, when you yeah. allow yourself to actually feel that, it, it again, it kind of passes through you faster than prolonging it for months on end, that feeling. Yeah, I, it always comes down to to feeling your feelings and your emotions fully huh? within, you know, keeping yourself and others safe. But feel them fully, allow, we won't always have a, great day we won't always have an inspired day we have days where we feel miserable and cranky and and giving myself the room to do that um yes in in my experience personally or what i've seen in other people it passes quicker and then you know hopefully come out and there is something else at the end again yeah, something new so with um with mind you do some mindfulness workshops too don't you work around mindfulness meditation but it is a it is a big part of becoming present, you know, mindfulness in whichever shape or form you call it. Um, yeah, I just wanted to see, like, do you see a connection between that and, and creativity, the mindfulness part? Well, if we're not, yes, I, I, 
I do. I think if we can't become mindful or present, we cannot really hear ourselves. Yeah. If our brain is always like, mm. and we have no way of calming it down or really stepping into the now, um, there's not so much room because we're still running. So whatever form people use, whether it's mindfulness or whether it's gardening or whether it's um, a hot bath, but, mm. but really becoming present or really connecting with their bodies and, and being in the now, um, that, that opens up to be able to see different connections, different patterns, um, different ways of doing things. But if I'm always running and crazy, uh, yeah, you know, I, I can't. I, I just can't. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, it's kind of anything that kind of slows you down, gets you back into into the body, out of your brain, out of your head for a while. So, like, would you see yeah. in between? I suppose into what's your understanding of your intuition then? Your intuition, following your gut. Oh, I'm a great, great believer in in that. Um, I I think that you know we we are animals, and we we're designed to survive. And designed to, to find enjoyment. So I often believe that intuition is something we register on our subconscious level, um, which is so fast that our prefrontal cortex or, or thinking brain does not pick up on it. Um, so in, in that sense, I go like, well, if I get a spider, I call it my spidery sense of something that's not right. I don't necessarily have to know immediately why it's not right. I have learned through experience in my life, it's actually better for me to follow that and go along with it. Um, but there's some interesting work in when you look about um, minute body language signals and often it's just a, a change in the pupil that indicates that someone's really friendly to you and someone isn't. And that was something I sometimes thought, why do I get this weird sense of people that they really, you know, they pretend to be really nice, but I get this uh, sense of, no, they really don't like me. Yeah. And I could not, by all, I could not pinpoint what does give me that sense. And then I read this amazing book of an FBI profiler and he talked about things and he said, it's a minute change. If someone's not positive towards you, um, the pupils just kind of go a little bit smaller. They just shrink a little bit. And if someone's positive, the eyes just widen a tiny little bit when they see you. There's this openness and this, you know. Mm. And then I paid attention. I I thought like I'm I'm now on a hunt. I'm on a mission. I want to know. So I actually for two two or three respect, and I kind of was very focused on, you know, my spire sense other and the pupils. And it was true. And it was something I consciously consciously didn't pick up. Yeah. But my subconscious was aware of those cues. So um, like I found those, that quite fascinating. Like those micro expressions as well that you don't know why yeah. somebody set you off, but it's some sort of micro expression that's been in there that you didn't really notice consciously. But I think it's important too. You mentioned it's, it wasn't the witch hunt, it was curiosity or driven, but I think you actually can, uh, I think it's easier to pay attention and notice something off if it comes from curiosity rather than come from a witch hunt kind of thing. Because you can, when you're coming from a witch hunt thing, I think you can see things that aren't actually there. And I guess that that mirrors, it, it's the same whether we are in a survival state or in an exploratory state. You know, as human beings, if, if we're in that sense of survival, they're completely different systems activated in our bodies 
and yes, we will only look for danger. We will only look for signs of how to keep ourselves safe. Mm. And you, you know, your adrenaline, everything's up. And so you will make very different choices if you're in that survivor mode or if you're in the, oh, I'm safe. I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm, ex I'm in the explorative mode. I'm just checking out what's there. And they're quite two different states. And I think some people, they're so, they're, it, it almost becomes a habit or a pattern for them. They're constantly in this survival mode. They constantly, you know, they have to get there and they're always stressed and it's always the next thing. And, and, and they're in this pattern. So all they can see is all those things and they will not, you know, pick up on, on the other things. And yes, they will, yeah, get into this witch hunt which I find in a survival mode, I'm always looking for a definite answer. It feels like a thing that I'm desperate to find some answer. So I have to have some definite answer. Whereas with exploratory mode, I don't, I'm not looking for an answer. I'm looking for an insight. I don't know when, when it's going to come. I don't know when something's going to stand out. So there has to be that openness to not knowing uh, to be in the exploration mode. I think, I think yeah, that's a very good way of, of looking at it. I think it's, it's being comfortable with the unknown and the not knowing and the going, well, I don't know. Uh, I will see what comes along. I can't, I have a educated guess or I can make a prediction due to experiences I had before, but deep down I have to be accepting of that. Oh, it might be completely different or it might be something else. And I think you're right. It's having that openness to go like, yeah, I might find something, but when I find it, I don't know. Yeah, I found this. And again, it comes back to the feeling your feelings because um, you wouldn't notice that if you didn't feel the feelings that was coming from. Because I often find the survival mode comes from paranoia. It comes from this kind of anxiety and this anger and this um, needing to deal with something. Whereas the exploration comes more from allowing emotions to be there. Like you might be pissed off and annoyed at something, but you're allowing that to come up for you and, and feel that and process that. And then you might actually notice something then when you've allowed yourself to process that better. Uh, and that is that mindfulness again, isn't it? It, mm. it, it be really, uh, for me, mindfulness is just not pushing everything out of our head and pretending you were so relaxed, but we're not. But it, yeah. it's like really feeling, oh my God, there is something. I'm actually feeling stressed. I'm actually feeling overworked. I'm actually feel angry about what my partner said four days ago to me and I haven't addressed it. It's, it's being mindful enough to, to allow those feelings and then maybe go, do I really need this? Can I deal with it in another way? Do I have to go to that job I hate or, or whatever? So I think you start asking yourself other questions yeah. when, you're, when you're not in that crazy wheel and wheel mode. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's the questions. It's even a more of a focus on the question because when you're not finding an answer you have to you have to adjust your question a little bit too you have to go like oh, maybe i'm looking in the wrong place so you'll have to ask a different question again to look in a different place uh so it's less focused on the answers more focused on the questions i think even with that yeah and that that is kind of a more philosophical inquiry isn't it which is then again linked to that more creative mindset if if we focus on how to get to a certain thing you know it's a set path how to get most quickly to this to something but if we go like well what can we do different or what else is possible um we start asking more open questions and i think the more open question mark, there's more things to discover and that allows us again to be more more creative because we're not just having one 
one vision we have to have to get to. It's a little bit like, you when, know, like yeah. What are you saying? Yeah, just that right, that that perception that life has to look a certain way, instead of going like, oh, does it? Yeah. Does it have to look a certain way? Do we have to be thirty and have done this and forty have done this and then we need the house and the two cars and whatever? And um, is that you know? Or it could the question be, how could my life look like? Or what could be my perfect day? Or even something interesting for me was like, how could my life feel? How? Why, what way do I want my life to feel fundamentally? Because I yeah. found when I was unconscious of that, I was driven by stuff like that. I need to be married by a certain age. I need to have kids by a certain age. And when it wasn't materializing, I felt this underlying stress and anxiety in the background of my life because I wasn't reaching the expectations I'd set myself. Whereas when I'm going more, from, when I'm shifting now, I'm going like, how do I actually want to feel? And then let the other things fall into place, the kids, the family, whatever. If they fall into place, they fall into place. But I'm not forcing something then. It's a, that's come from a basic question that I've just been willing to, to look at more even come up with myself because nobody told me to ask myself that question. I think mean, that was where the power was because I realized that that might be a useful question to ask myself. What, what I wanted to uh, ask there was, when did you start seeing the practical implications of philosophy in your life? Because I think sometimes people look at philosophy and see it as something that's not necessary, that it's just a waste of time. I, I must say, I, I think in that way, I can really use the word lucky or privileged. Um, in my school, we had actually part of our curriculum was ethics and philosophy. And so when I was 16, 17, you know, we got introduced to all those ideas of all the different thinkers. And that just sparked my interest. It was just fascinating for me at that age to, to see how people questioned their surrounding or questioned the human conditions and what ways they found to deal to deal with the world. And then that led me to read other things like, um, you know, t Buddhism or Taoism, which again is a, is again a different view of the world or how to deal with the world. And yeah, I guess I, I was exposed to it early, early enough in my life that, that, you know, it's, um, which has grabbed my attention and from there it just has always been a part that um, I'm, I'm just fascinated and interested by that and I can you know I love to read and get into those things and and I guess it's having so many amazing thinkers mm. it it allows you to think and you know if it's a right for someone to pose a question like I mean Socrates posed questions all the time and then it rubs off, really. Yeah, that's good. I think it is. Uh, it gives you an experience of thinking. If somebody said to me before that people don't think, you're not thinking, I would have been like, I do think. I think all the time. But it would just be unconscious thinking rather than actually really intentionally asking myself something more philosophical and seeing where that actually goes. Uh, I, and, and you spoke about the, the feeling sense before, you know, in, in doing things and what actually makes you feel good. And I guess I, I always found thinking pleasurable. So, and sometimes I, I do that well. I actually take time just to think. So I sit in the garden and I just think for several hours. And I actually love, I love how following my mind, where it goes and what it does and what pops up and the connections I draw. So, yeah, some people might 
watch TV or do, do something else. And, and I go like, no, I'm thinking tonight. I, I got to have a thinking session. That's a good point. Actually, I'm similar. I used to, I, I used to always do that as a, a child. I used to love that feeling. But for me, it made no sense as a child looking at the world. I didn't have an introduction to philosophy as a teenager. I didn't know any of, any of this stuff. And uh, I always thought I was weird for feeling that way. I didn't see examples. Maybe there were people like that. It's just I didn't, it wasn't very clear to me and evident to my environment. And uh, as an adult now, as I've realized, the power in thinking for yourself and the power in, in actually feeling good about intentionally asking yourself questions. And I suppose that what I was missing young, when I was younger, I don't need the concept of the, of the analytical mind. So like we're talking about the survival mode. I would ask yeah. myself big questions, but I go into survival mode and it would actually uh it, it would stifle the whole thing whereas an adult now i would like to yeah. ask a question reflect on it and let it put it out there wonder just feel into it and i guess that probably led you to you know to have your podcast and take the time and and i think yeah. if we discover something it's it's almost like when you come from that mindset you want to you want to share it you know it, it you want that people have experience weird you know, to do that or don't feel weird when they are like, oh, I have to put myself to bed. I'm so miserable. You yeah. know, it, it's, or at least that's me. I kind of go like, well, it works for me. It makes me feel good inside. And I kind of want other people to have that, yeah, the same sense of opportunity or safety or spaciousness to to give to themselves. Because, you know, I, I do believe the world would be a nicer place if we all had space to space yeah i think it's kind of it's, yeah. it's wanting to share that feeling and also sharing that space that you mentioned at the start that you had you always felt you had space there to even though your family weren't artistic you had that sense of space i think the space is what allows you to create something new then without the space it's it's hard to do that i feel and that is because so many people are so overstructured nowadays or the education or or how kids grow up is, is very structured. There is not a lot of time for what we call the free play, you know, unstructured, unsupervised play, where it just goes from one thing to the next. And, you know, um, I guess it was like they opened the door and say, you go out, come back when uh, the sun sets. And I guess it was different times, you know, because it was probably a lot safer. But I also think it wasn't as focused on you need that degree, you need to have this done, you need to look a certain way, you know, where, where, where everything gets very structured to, to, to fit the outside norm, you know, if we're always running around the outside things, we actually have no time to discover ourselves. And I guess that I had, for what, whatever reasons, I had that space to discover myself as a child in, in my own space. And then, um, there was just something that was stronger than the outside expectations and so yeah i think you start realizing the inside the internal world is actually stronger than the outside world when you tap into it in the long term when you know what it is and yeah. uh, and you're coming from a sense of sharing that when it's something that actually feels good you want to share that and uh yeah i think you start realizing the internal world is more powerful than the outside world it's that moya no moya the illusionary nature of the outside world like those ideas yeah. again a philosophical idea can that can help you take your focus off the outside you might be happy with and focus on the inside and connecting with what you want to see change or what 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 feels right for you here uh, yeah i like exploring all this kind of stuff 
Yeah, it is. It is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's endless. It's endless. But I like having these kind of discussions and stuff. But yeah, that, that's that's it today. I wanted to just explore the creativity and just share some of your story as well. Um, how would people work with you if they wanted to, or even find your work and and you did a TEDx talk? Yeah, send me an email or contact me, and I can you know I I can work over Zoom like we do, or if it's it's around, I, I can come into the organizational company. So um, again, it's a flexible, yeah. adjustable approach because everyone is different. And every need is different and what they want to look at is different. So I, I don't have a one size fits all um, approach. But it, yeah, in a way you can find me um, through my webpage, send me an email and then, then I would check in what is it and can we really be beneficial to each other? Because for some people it wouldn't, you know, it yeah. work out. Yeah, that's good. I'll put a link in the show notes too to your website so people can check that out. So yeah, thanks again for joining us today, Dr. Rosia. Thank you, thank you for getting up early. <laughs> no, that's my pleasure. So uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us and thanks again for listening. And until next time, have fun and enjoy the process. Keep playing. <laughs>